This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. On this week's highlight show, we talked to Bill Conley, a frequent guest of ours over all 10 years, college football analyst, writer. We talk about the shaping playoff race. We talk a little bit about the Heisman Trophy. We talk a little bit about realignment coming up next year and what it means. Fun conversation with Bill Conley. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to a full hour of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Massey hosting with my longtime collaborators, friends, and co-colleagues at Wharton, faculty colleagues at Wharton, Eric Bradlow, Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen, the fourth of us is away this week. He will be back. Some combination of us are here almost every week of the year, something like, I don't know, 49, 50 weeks of the year. And we record these typically on Tuesday afternoon as we are today, a little bit earlier, but it's still the afternoon. Joining me, Eric and Adi is Bill Conley, one of the most frequent guests on the show, a go-to for us in the world of college football. Also occasionally his secondary and tertiary sports like tennis and soccer. (laughs) But we'll stay with college football now. Bill, a uh, longtime college football writer, began with Aaron Schatz back in the day, SB Nation for a long time, paired up with Stephen Godfrey for a while on a terrific podcast, and now writes for ESPN, where he is often the front page story on a Sunday morning. So much fun to see. Bill, good morning. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> How are you guys? Good. I should say good afternoon. It is, in fact, Tuesday afternoon. Bill, this is uh, sitting between Rivalry Week and Conference Championship Week. We'll get the last of the the, the penultimate playoff rankings tonight, but mostly everything's going to be decided next weekend. Uh, as you're sitting here today, as you're thinking about the world of college football, as you're still recovering from what was probably the best weekend of the year. Oh, man. Uh, you just rated the 35 top games last weekend. That's quite a list for a single weekend. Topped off, of course, by Alabama's ridiculous win over Auburn. But I'm curious, Bill, you live, breathe, eat, drink college football pretty much 365 days a year. What is on your brain this Tuesday morning, this this propitious week we're sitting in at the near the end of the 2023 season? Well, I mean, I guess the big thing is like, do we finally get something unexpected? Um, because this has been the strangest year when it comes to, I think for my Friday preview column, I'm just going to call it like highly entertaining chalk. Uh, we've constantly <laughs> all year, all year we've talked about like, man, the, the dominant teams don't seem quite as dominant as usual. Everybody seems vulnerable. It seems like this is a, you know, an opportunity for chaos or whatever. And then I added it up this morning and, um, the top eight teams currently, which are, you know, the four preseason top four teams, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Michigan, Ohio state, plus Florida state, who was the ACC favorite plus Texas, who was the big 12 favorite. And then Washington and Oregon, who were two of the three, uh, pack 12 favorites along with USC. Yeah. Yeah. They're combined 92 and four this year, um, 89 <laughs> and one against teams that aren't each other. Um, like that, the only loss, uh, among these eight teams that didn't happen amongst each other was Texas against Oklahoma and Oklahoma's, you know, 12th and 10 and two or whatever. So, uh, you know, wow. uh, Georgia, Georgia threatened to lose to Auburn and, and all, all these things threatened to happen. None of them did. And in theory, now we have a very, very high stakes, uh, I guess high stakes, um, championship weekend because of it 
Yeah, so that's it's just, interesting. You would think you would think with so many chances that something happening. I mean, we say these kinds of things all the time. So many chances of something happening, something almost inevitable, something almost with probability one would happen, but it continually does not happen. And so the, now what we would say, Bill, is we don't usually have that many teams making it to this point in the season. Right. Unblemished. I mean, four undefeated, four undefeated, four undefeated yep. with a chance for all of them to remain undefeated next weekend. <laughs> I mean, that just never happens. No. So it's in that way it's different. In that way, you could see a lot of different teams winning this thing. I mean, Michigan could win, Georgia could win, Oregon could win this thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Alabama apparently could win this. Thing. It's like you could, <laughs> I mean, Texas on a good day could win this thing. You could see a lot of different teams getting this done, and that alone is different. But you're right that just no no upsets whatsoever. Bradlow. Yeah. So Bill, just tell me, um, as everyone knows on Wharton Moneyball, I'm the chaos guy. I'm the one that prays <laughs> for chaos. So what happens if Alabama beats Georgia? <laughs> so Alabama, I would think, correct me if I'm wrong, let me go step by step just to get your mm-hmm. opinion. I think Alabama has to go, right? They've beaten Georgia. They've won the SEC. They win the SEC title. They have the one loss to Texas. They have to go, right? I, I don't think so. Um, so Alabama beats Georgia. They don't have to be one of the final four. I think they would benefit significantly from Texas also losing to Oklahoma State, which is a pretty big long. Well, it's Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State just loves the taste of its own blood in its mouth. And, and they're going to uh, Oklahoma State, Texas. OSU is going to trail 24-7 in the second quarter. And then one of the two teams is going to go on like a 31 nothing run. And either Texas wins by 50 or OSU wins outright. No, but That's Alabama how, or Georgia no. has to go. So if Alabama oh, right. beats Georgia, how could but, Alabama not go? But I think that that Texas win over Alabama is pretty defining. Um, it's been the way the committee works. And I realize this gets kind of blurry pretty quickly. But the way the committee always works is like you're legally required to rank ahead of a team you beat no matter what you did the other like 11 weeks or whatever and texas has whether they look good whether they have a backup quarterback with and and look kind of shaky whatever it is they continue to rank ahead of alabama uh in the cfp rankings because they won head to head and so i I realize if if we throw an alabama win over georgia in there and you've got three teams with one loss and and you know head to heads are you know the transitive property fails weird things could happen Alabama has not been one of the four best teams in the country. Alabama has no. been the worst of the one loss teams. And I don't think at the, I mean, nothing's going to surprise me, but I I really don't think at this point that they would jump. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't think so. I think if Alabama beats Georgia, I think Georgia falls to four, Alabama rises to five or six and Georgia still makes it at this point. That would oh, make years. Oh my God. I hope <laughs> this. I so pray. It's not because I like any of these. I just this will give us years to talk about on Wharton Moneyball. This would be fantastic. <laughs> well, I disagree. I disagree. And I, I actually I don't I don't I don't share your sentiment, Bill, but um I th- I just think that Alabama would get so much credit for beating Georgia if they do. I think um, but I mean I look I've been wrong about the committee a lot and they're not exactly consistent, <laughs> so they're hard to predict. Well, right. Yeah, that's that's. Um, I, there has been just enough contradiction that you can you don't never quite know, but I do think Georgia's the distance that Georgia is ahead of Alabama right now, and again, justifiably, Alabama's been about the eighth best team in the country this year, which probably means we're talking about nothing because Georgia's going to win. But yeah, um, I, I do think. I guess I would be really, really surprised if now, again, if Texas loses and kind of clears the board for them to just go straight head to head 
I think that helps Alabama. Um, it, it gives them a little extra room, uh, you know, to work with. But if Texas wins and they still have that head to head over Alabama, I think that, that everything kind of cancels itself out, and Georgia stays number four. Well, let's 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 um, talk just a bit more about it, and then move on. If you had to pick your four, who your four, um, and and where and where do you think and where's your most where's your most important sensitivity analysis? Who's your four, and who's your who's your fifth, and a in a, in a permutation. Yeah, I think, um, well, it's funny. Like I, I, I'm predicting chalk because that has been the theme of the season, but does that mean yeah. the unbeaten Washington beats the one loss Oregon, or does it mean the favored Oregon beats the underdog well, Washington? This, Bill, this, this is one of the most interesting things about the weekend. I saw this a couple of weeks ago, whenever, I think it was whenever you saw the line for the Oregon, Oregon state, the line that blew me away was Oregon state favored against Washington, just one and a half yeah. or so, but they were favored. Yeah, yeah. And then Oregon goes in there. And they're favored against them by like eight. And you're like, oh man, transitivity. And actually does hold when it comes to betting lines. Transitivity says the Oregon's going to be a nine or so point favorite against Washington. And sure enough, they are. And people didn't expect that at all, especially since Washington won that first game and has stayed undefeated. But I think it's safe to say chalk. I mean, it depends on what chalk, like you say, it feels chalkier for the undefeated win, but nine points is a lot to overcome. It's a lot. Yeah, no, I think if we... And, and yeah, it's like I've been getting yelled at because my SP plus ratings now have Washington down at 11th. They still yeah. like Washington more than the sports books do. Um, it has Oregon by eight <laughs> right. in this game. So that, that has been really interesting. And I mean, it's not hard to figure out why I had, I had Washington fourth after they beat Oregon the first time and they haven't played like a top four team since and therefore they've fallen. And, yeah. um, but yeah, so if we're assuming chalk means Georgia being in Alabama, um, Michigan beating Iowa, which is probably pretty safe. Um, Florida State beating 23 Louisville. point line, people. 20, yeah. 23 point line there. So we're okay. Florida State beating Louisville, which I think last I saw was down to like two and a half or three. For two and a half. Season. That's yeah. that's blessedly nearing a coin flip, which is great for Texas. <laughs> and, so those three and Oregon beating uh, Washington, then I think those are your four. Um, I know we tried to create something last week when when Jordan Travis got hurt. And, you know, what if Florida State wins but doesn't look good and, and so on and yeah. so forth. I think I just do not see a the the college football playoff committee leaving out an unbeaten power conference team. Um, and yeah. so I just, I, I even if they only beat Louisville by one and Alabama, well, if Alabama beats Georgia by like 40 or something, we'll talk, but I do think I, there are just not many scenarios on the table where Florida state wins and doesn't get in. So I think those are your four. Do you have a position on uh, Alabama, Georgia, about a six point line or so, which I think has grown since it opened, I think. And so I, 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 I get sucked into this story that Alabama is going to actually pull the upset after a couple of years of getting beaten in that game. Gritty but, um, underdog Alabama. Yeah, uh, right, right. Getting one over on the big guys. Get on um, the mill road train, man. I mean, come on. He, he's a miracle puller, apparently. <laughs> well, and I do think he kind of... Georgia does have one vulnerability right now, and it's that they're really, really mediocre defending the run. And Alabama's going to run the ball. And Milrow, what we saw against LSU, like they've been trying to kind of keep him contained and not run him all the time. But when it's a big game, they're going to run him all the time. And I could see it working pretty well against Georgia. So they're going to have a lot to handle. The Georgia offense is so ruthless, uh, just so consistently efficient. They do a great job. You know, it was Nick Saban saying, you know, it's, it's what players, not plays. That's his line. Um, they do a great job of like, well, it's third and six time to go to Bowers. Let's, let's call a play for Bowers. Let's call a play for McConkey. Let's run the ball, uh, nonstop if they don't have enough guys in the box and so on and so forth. Georgia's going to score even against the good Alabama defense that also isn't amazing against the run as we saw yeah, last right. week. So right, right, right. 
but Al- so Alabama's going to have to keep up in a track meet, but that with that run game, they might, it's, it's a really fun run game and they don't really get knocked off schedule when they do, they get sacked in the drive-ins, but um, they'll have a chance. Okay. You're, you're, you're pulling me into the story, man. Here's my narrative <laughs> desirability bias, wishful thinking for bill Michigan's in, obviously, I think Oregon's going to Trump Washington. I'm going to go with the Louisville upset over Florida state because I've got to find a way to get Texas in there. And then I'm going to go with Alabama over Georgia. So Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Oregon, that's a good final four, man. Let's do that. Let's do that one. Eric, what are you trying to jump in here for? Yeah. The only comment I wanted to make is, do you think the temporal or I'm surprised actually at some of the temporal orderings of the game. So I'm just looking at this now. It appears that Oregon, Washington is on Friday, which is kind of interesting. So we'll know that piece of information. Yep. Um, Texas, Oklahoma State is at noon on Saturday, which means it's before the Georgia-Alabama game or the Florida Louis, Florida State-Louisville game. Do you think there's any, I don't want to call it this way, but like, would you swing your win probabilities at all based on what <laughs> happens in those two games? Like, you know, extra motivation, you know, the narrative that comes out, not that these teams don't have motivation, but like, Let's say, you know, every path for Alabama to get in is basically eliminated or something like that. Does it change anything for you or no? I guess the one in terms of that order, I guess the one thing, the one case you could maybe make is if Texas loses. And that really does increase Alabama's shots of making it if they went It's Alabama, Georgia. They're going to be 100% motivated anyway. So I I can't – I don't know if I can make that case. And and Florida State knows on the Saturday evening game, Florida State knows they have to win and get in. Um, Michigan – I mean, if all the other favorites win and Texas looks awesome, um, I still wouldn't want to be Michigan if if you just lost to Iowa because – they just, I mean, the committee went out of their way to tell them your schedule sucks uh, all season. Um, it, they were clearly the number one team in the country, the best team in the country for much of the season. And they still rank third uh, in the CFP. Now, obviously, they just beat Ohio State, so they'll move up. Um, but I still don't know if I would want to be Michigan losing to Iowa with all these other favorites looking awesome and winning. So I'm not I'm not willing to say that Michigan's absolutely in no matter what. Um, but uh, they're not going to lose to Iowa. So yeah, exactly. Matter. Exactly. The, 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 the what would matter is not going to happen. So it's okay. Um, Bill, talk to us about the Heisman Trophy. You got a J- Jaden Daniels case. Is that right? I'm surprised, uh, given what he's doing, that people think that he's still maybe not the favorite against I, Bo Nix. Is just because we've heard Bo Nix's name for six straight years and familiarity <laughs> works that way? Well, is that what's going on? It was really, it's been really confusing to me. And, and obviously, you know, my own little approach to the Heisman is different and just because it produced but, the right result last year. Uh, Bill, so- I love your approach. Your approach is brilliant. <laughs> Bill, said, Bill says every week, he says, this, who's, this is who won the Heisman this week. He ranks them one to whatever you rank, 10 or ten, something. Yeah, one and to 10. You get points, 10 points yep. for first nine, and then you just add up the points. And so now you forget about recency bias or whatever. It's just every week, look what happened in the field and rank them one to 10. Yeah. And so... Like Jay Daniels won this thing in October. Um, doing with my ten point scale, he had such a run of games. I got to watch one of them in person here at Missouri, um, where he was the reason LSU won the game. Uh, they lost three games because their defense allowed forty seven points per game in those three games. But um, he, the only time he was ever iffy all season was in the second half against uh, against Florida State. Otherwise, he's been um, he's been Kyler Murray this year. Kyler Murray won the Heisman. So um, I, I just he's the also way been- he was. Joe Burrow, in a way, right? I saw some Burrow stats a week ago that look remarkably similar, and where they were different, he was better. 
Yeah, no, he's he's been unbelievable. And so the fact that he hasn't become the favorite has really confused me. Now, Bo Nix has absolutely like he had 400 plus against USC, 400 plus the next week, like 300 plus last week. He's he's turned it on um, down the stretch for sure. And he would absolutely be my number two. But the fact that he's been he was the betting favorite last week and he still is, even though Jane Daniels is still going out there and putting up 200 and 100 every week. Uh, just it just confused me. I didn't expect it the way that played out because I think Daniels has been clearly the most outstanding player in the country. And even if Nix has been number two, uh, if he wins it, it's like you're he's winning it because his defense is better than Daniels' defense. And I don't like I've I've never liked that, and I definitely don't like it here. Right, yeah, Bill. I'm just going to ask you: Have you ever um, done a study of let's call it growth during college of players? Like um, to me. When I saw Bo Nix play for Auburn, I was like, man, oh, man, this guy stinks. He's absolutely (laughs) horrific. And now I watch him play. It almost seems like a different player. So have have people, whether it's you or someone like you, done studies of kind of the trajectory of players within college? Yeah, I mean, I, a long time ago, I did just kind of a general, like, when do, when does a guy improve the most kind of deal? It usually says, like, after your first year as a starter is when you improve the most. But you do. I mean, we have plenty of anecdotes. Uh, the, the My favorite stories are the kind of the late growth guys like him, like Jane Daniels. I had no idea Jane Daniels was capable of what he did this year. Um, like Joe Burrow in 2019, like Vince Young about halfway through 2004, gets be- he gets benched against Missouri. He's absolutely awful for a few games in 04 and then just becomes Vince Young all of a sudden. Um, those are really cool stories. And and um Nix is absolutely one of them. He yeah, you're right. Like at Auburn, I was very confused because people tried to hype him up as like a future NFL guy or whatever. And I just never saw it. He just seemed like a, you know, he was playing YOLO ball, just, you know, I'm gonna make something. It's Bo Nix time. I'm gonna make something happen right now. Uh and a lot of times that was really fun. And a lot of times it was absolutely disastrous. Then he goes up to Oregon and plays the most controlled ball in the country. You cannot knock them off schedule ever and the only way you can make stops apparently is is like on fourth downs uh like washington did and so the like that change uh you know he he got into the right system he matured obviously it it made such a spectacular difference and he's been like over two years he's absolutely been better than Jaden daniels he's probably been better than michael Penix at this point at least although i love michael Penix. talk about a story i didn't you didn't see coming i mean he stunk his last year at indiana because he had like three disastrous and and even given that bill what's your forecast for where bonix is drafted in the order of quarterbacks because people are talking about at least two other quarterbacks ahead yeah. of him, maybe three or four. Well, I think what we've seen recently, like I, it, a lot of people were reacting to that cross the field throw he made against Oregon state last week, where he's scrambling to his right, sees a guy wide open, makes the throw you're absolutely not supposed to make, but absolutely drills it. I think his arm strength maybe is better than we expected. And he's playing in this system where he doesn't necessarily show it a lot, but uh, it does seem like he's got the arm strength. He's got mobility. He's got a lot of things working for him. He might, he's not going to be Caleb Williams. He's not going to be Drake may. They kind of, in terms of hype head starts, they both got a much bigger head start than he did. Uh, and honestly, they're probably, you know, better throwers, better athletes, whatever. But I, at this point, I could, I could see him going in the first round. And you tell me that two years ago and I would have just laughed my, my, Hard up. Just a follow up from a statistician's perspective. Is he the kind of player, maybe just related to your comment about arm strength? Like, is it important for him for an, for an uncertainty reduction perspective 
to participate either in the combine or pro day, like Drake May and Caleb Williams, they could sit there in an armchair yeah. on pro day and they're going first, second, third, somewhere like that. But does, does Bo Nix someone that can actually benefit because of the uncertainty reduction? Uh, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I kind of hate that because I do feel like quarterbacks, especially, you know, it's not even, you're not even running the 40. You're just throwing passes to guys running around in shorts. Um, you're making those, whatever they call them off platform throws, uh, you know, to the, yeah, that look amazing. And that's, that tells me absolutely nothing. Zach Wilson had a great off platform throw. Um, you know, so I, I, I would hope that doesn't make a difference just because I hate that data point really. Um, but yes, I think you're absolutely, if they can, you know, these, these scouts who see the 70%, whatever, 80% almost completion rate. Um, and you know, uh, the, the growth and suddenly he's winning the Heisman or whatever. And then you go see him in person and he can run around in shorts and make off platform throws that probably will make a difference whether it should or not. How, how should we think about the age of these guys as <laughs> we know that the analytics generally discounts players at the NFL draft stage for being older. So you get a, if the guys in general, if the guy's doing reasonably well as a 19 year old, he's going to project better as an NFL in any position, but including quarterbacks, it's almost, it's almost, it's almost the other side of this coin. It's like, if they look so much better in their fifth year, it's fair to discount. It's fair to credit such a Caleb Williams, who we've only seen play two full seasons, two right. and a half years or something. And so that's a, that'd be a big, that's going to be a knock on Knicks. And I think it might be a reasonable knock on Knicks. You, you can look at it at the earlier stage as well. These kids who max out in high school, you know, an offensive lineman might look really good in high school. He's just bigger than everybody else. And he may not have the underlying athletic ability. You might take a raw guy who's big bone, not completely filled out and athletic, and he's going to develop better as a college player. It's kind of the same calculus at the NFL stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, Caleb Williams doing what he did in his second year of college last year versus what Bo Nix is doing in his fifth or right. Michael Penix in his 17th or whatever we're at now with <laughs> right. him. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, if I'm investing in a guy and hoping that he grows more in the future, then yeah, you're taking the 21 year old over the 24 year old or whatever. Mm hmm. Bill, we're one of the things we've noted a little bit in passing. It's gotten busy here at this time of year, but we know, you know, this is kind of the end of an era. People talked about it with the Michigan Ohio State game last weekend. This is the last time in the foreseeable future we'll have a game, that game with the stakes that the game had. Ohio State season was essentially over. They're going to go to a bowl game. They don't care about the bowl game. And Michigan's got three more games in front of them potentially. We won't have those kinds of stakes with the 12 team playoff. There's virtues. But there's some downside. So we're at this moment of transition. Also, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, the entire top half of the Pac-12 moving to the Big Ten. Texas OU moving to the SEC. It's exciting in some ways, and it's sad in other ways. How are you feeling about this transition? Are you soaking up properly this last of the this era of college football? And then how do you begin thinking about what it means for your job next year? How much admiration do you have for someone that was at the Michigan-Ohio State game, the game of the century? If I'll just throw that out at the game, Bill. Just go ahead. Sorry, answer Kate's question. No, I, I'm not worried about – like the, the stakes will be different moving forward for Michigan-Ohio State, but 
it's still going to be Michigan, Ohio state. Um, I just, this is where I just say, trust the sport. Uh, the big games are still going to, the, the big rivalry games are still going to be big rivalry games. Alabama, Auburn didn't mean a whole lot, especially to Auburn. And it was still absolutely spectacular in every way. So in that sense, like those games are going to be huge. Even if we have the possibility of watching them twice, um, you know, Michigan, Ohio state. And then next week it's Michigan, Ohio state again in the big 10 championship. Um, it's still going to matter. And it's still going to, you know, if Ryan day loses that game, uh, even if his team is safely in the playoff that's still gonna so i'm not like the stakes are gonna still be really high for any of those rivalry games but you're right like we're, we're basically making a giant trade next year of these games uh, you know these huge rivalry games that you know oregon washington or michigan ohio state they mean slightly less just because of you know both teams are in the playoff no matter what but we're also making all these other conference title games mean more all these other the conference race you know three or four or five teams from each from, from this conference of that conference now have have a shot at the playoff they're still trying to fight to get into the last weekend so i think we have as many or more big games with big stakes we're just kind of divvying it out the, the stakes out a little differently so I'm, I'm excited about that the one thing i'm not i cannot get excited about the this this round of realignment um as a mizzou guy who misses Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. My best, you know, my high school best friends are OU fans. They come up to a game each year. Next year, they get to come up as OU fans instead of as, you know, cosplaying Missouri fans for a weekend. Um, Like I missed that game a lot. And, and so I'm really excited. Like that SEC move, we get OU Missouri, we get Texas, Arkansas, we get OU A&M and Texas A&M, of course, we get these old rivalries back. Um, even though we're also really screwing with the Big 12 as a whole, and then the Big 12 screws with itself, they're not even making Kansas State, Iowa State a permanent rivalry. So we're just really gonna get weird at that level. The Big 10 move broke my brain, and I cannot, I, I hate it. I hate the Big 10 move. I hate at least OU Texas was ge- geographically sensible, uh, it was a, to a connected state. Um, having USC and Oregon and Washington and UCLA not even playing each other every year. Oregon and USC will play as often as Oregon and Rutgers. That blew my mind that they made those choices. Um, and I, I just hate it. I, it's, it's add that to the fact that our playoff race next year will basically have like, you know, the top 10 will be eight teams from two conferences. Therefore, the conference title races won't be even including like six of the top 10, like our conference title games, I should say. Like mm-hmm. I, I just, uh, that concentration of two co- play uh, conferences, the way it happened, I hate it. Um, and I'm just going to have to get over it because it's not, it's here, but um, the big 10, especially just, I, I I cannot get myself to liking that one. Bill Conley. We'll talk. Thanks for trash. making time for us, man. Enjoy this time of year. Absolutely. You can find him at, at ESPN underscore Bill C, at ESPN underscore Bill C, or just peruse ESPN's website. A lot of work from Bill Connolly up there. Great person to stay in touch with, especially this time of year. That's been another Wharton Money Ball. Appreciate you guys listening. Come back and join us next time. Until now and then, enjoy your sports. Enjoy your sports.